Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And it's a Wednesday morning. It's January 31st from the Adventure of the Seas. We are literally at sea today, and it's very quiet because our passengers on this wonderful Good News Cruise, Good News Marriage Cruise 2024, are at Mass right now. So we're doing the show, but then we will be uh, meeting up with all the wonderful folks and our panelists for a wonderful panel discussion featuring... Me and Deacon Dom, Sally and Al Cresta, Alicia and Mike Hernan, they were two of our speakers, Rachel and Jason Bullman, more of our speakers, Dr. A. Grundy, and the amazing Father Michael Schmitz is going to be joining us on that panel. And our MC, as we've been mentioning, is a wonderful priest from the Diocese of Lansing. His name is Father Joe Krupp, Lansing, Michigan. That's our state capital, smack in the middle of the state of Michigan. He's so funny, so down to earth, and a wonderfully orthodox priest. He also has a really cool podcast you should check him out. He's very popular uh, with his podcast. But it's been a great cruise so far. We've had a lot of wonderful speakers and presentations and looking forward to wrapping up the cruise. Tomorrow will be the final full day, and then Friday we will leave the ship. And it's so great to have so many like-minded people together. We sold out this year. We had 800 people. So if you include our corporate travel crew and the Ave Maria crew, because we had a bunch of folks come with us because of all the setup with Steve Clark and everybody who has to run things here, and of course Andrew Kruchek holding everything, holding down the fort at home, but probably have about 50 people from corporate travel and Ave Maria Radio all in total, and then the rest are our passengers who booked from all over the country. Many are repeats and really enjoyed the Good News Cruise, and if you'd like more information on next year's Good News Marriage Cruise, which is coming up very early in January. It will be the first full week of January, so check that out, goodnewscruise.com. So I mentioned we have our panel discussion in a little bit, and then confession will be available. And then Dr. Ray does his show, and he's actually going to be live today, 1 to 2 o'clock. Dr. Ray Grundy from the ship, right? It's going to be fun. Father Krupp is going to be doing his podcast, and most of these events folks can sit in on in the studio, but because we are on the air right now and mass is going on we're unable to obviously have them be with us i mean they if they choose they can but of course everybody this morning is at mass and i think that is uh, much more important and then we're going to be hearing from comedian jerry mcclellan a wonderful catholic comedian who's a convert to catholicism and then dinner this evening and then we have some fun stuff going on we have karaoke now i like to go and watch it but i'm not going to be participating because i don't like to sing but 7.30, I can't sing basically, but 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. is karaoke. And then we have a, a breakout session and then a hospitality desk. So there's all kinds of different variety of things. But what's nice about this is if you notice in the schedule, it is kind of light today. And what we're really encouraging folks to do is to actually, even if there's a panel you could go see like our panel today or a speaker you could hear or if you wanted to maybe do one of the activities on the ship, but we're really encouraging people is to take a little bit of a break from all of it. We're calling this like a festival type of cruise or conference because you have so many different things from which to choose. And I also want to encourage you, speaking that uh, Valentine's Day is not too far away, to go to the USCCB website. That's a website of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, usccb.org, and to check out their For Your Marriage website. You can go to foryourmarriage.org on your own, but they have some very interesting research about how important it is for people, couples, to make sure they are having date nights. And we're not talking dinner and a movie. What they're encouraging is some unique activities and just some time together away from the routine. And this is what happens on a cruise like this. And next year, uh, it's in early January, as I mentioned, in 2026, we're probably going to charter an entire ship. And we've had a lot of requests for people who aren't married, who are looking to come, and we're going to just open it up to everyone. We'll have a marriage track. We'll have a singles track. We'll have a number of different tracks. And this will be in 2026 where we hope to charter an entire ship. So that's what's happening on the Good News Cruise today on this January 31st, the last day of the month of January, and the feast of a wonderful saint from Torino, St. John Bosco or Don Bosco, a 19th century Italian priest to reach out to young people, and this is according to a beautiful summary from Catholic News Agency, who reached out to people to remedy their lack of education, opportunities, and faith. 
He was born in August in 1815 into a family of peasant farmers in northern Italy, a place which would one day be renamed in the saint's honor Castle Nuovo Don Bosco, or the New Castle of Don Bosco. His father died when he was just two years old, but he drew strength from his mother, Margarita's deep faith in God. And she also taught her son the importance of charity, using portions of her own modest means to support those in even greater need. John desired to pass on to his own young friends the example of Christian discipleship that he learned from his mother. And he eventually would discern his calling as a priest, but he really loved working with young children and, of course, he did so much to help the, pity, the, the people in the city of Turin. And he was also shocked to see how many boys ended up in prison before the age of 18, left to starve spiritually and sometimes physically. And this is how he established the group known as the Oratory of St. Francis de Sales, which eventually came the Salesians. Now, it was named, obviously, after St. Francis de Sales, whose feast day, by the way, we celebrated a week ago today. So today on this January 31st in the Catholic Church, the Feast of the Wonderful St. John Bosco from Torino or Turin, Italy, northwest Italy, a beautiful city indeed. Coming up on the program today, a real treat for you. We are going to spend the entire show with the amazing Father Robert Spitzer, his latest book, Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible. It, it's fantastic. It's in three different parts and he really is diving into scripture to help us understand the connection, as the title indicates, between science, reason, and faith. But whenever you have Father Spitzer on, you need a lot of time because he's such a wealth of information. If you know from listening to him on EW Channel or watching him with Doug Keck on Father Spitzer's Universe. Now, in addition to discussing this fantastic book, but they understand has been written for teachers, catechists, any of us who need to know more about science, reason, and faith, which I think would be everybody, right? We could always learn more, and it's important to know about this so we can be educated and to teach others. But I also want to encourage you, if you get a chance, because there's some, some really important episodes. I mean, they're all great, but I was looking at the schedule for Father Spitzer's Universe with Doug, and so uh, today they are doing part three on a very important topic, the spiritual effects of pornography. This is part three. It airs at 2 p.m. and then it repeats at 10. So again, they've been doing this three-part series on the spiritual effects of pornography. And there is so much science, which I'm sure they're going to get into on the show, that shows the fallout and the impact that pornography has on us overall, but especially what it does to us spiritually. So just want to remind you, because we're talking with Father Spitzer coming up after the break, that we have this beautiful program that airs weekly with Doug Keck and Father Spitzer, Father Spitzer's Universe. Very important topic today, 2 o'clock, Part 3, The Spiritual Effects of Pornography, and also re-aired this evening at 10. So make sure you take a note of that. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back, and we will be with the one, the only, Father Spitzer. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Estate planning gives our loved ones peace and time to mourn. At MyCatholicWill.com, a legal will is as simple as 15 minutes filling out information about your family. The standard cost is $79.95. However, thanks to our partnership with MyCatholicWill.com, when you use the promo code AVE, A-V-E, your will is absolutely free. No hidden cost whatsoever. Visit MyCatholicWill.com. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? 
If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Welcome back. As promised, a special edition of Catholic Connection today with Father Robert Spitzer, Ph.D., a Catholic priest in the Jesuit order and president of the Magis Center, serving as president of Gonzaga University from 1998 to 2009. And you know him from his many TV appearances, not only on Father Spitzer Universe with Doug Keck right here on EWTN, but on so many other outlets, including secular media. And we're so grateful for the exposure he gets because he is brilliant, but he's also very down-to-earth and just a wonderful, solid Orthodox priest. We're talking about, he's got so many books out, it's hard to keep track. I was just talking about uh, that with him before we uh, started the interview. But the latest that we're talking about this morning is from OSV, our Sunday visitor, Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible. Father, always great to have you on the program, and I love the fact that you're willing to stay on with us for more than one or two segments because there's so many questions I have always have for you. Good morning. Oh, good morning, and I love interviewing with you because you really burrow into it, and I, <laughs> I couldn't ask for a better interviewer, honestly. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. That's quite a compliment coming from you. Okay, so tell us, first of all, just kind of give us, I mean, I've been going through the book. Give us kind of an overview. Why is this different from other, some of the other books that you've done regarding the connection between science, reason, and faith? I decided on this one to make it uh, you know, point directly toward the Bible, um, and uh, later this year, I'm going to be doing a Science, Reason, and Faith um, uh, study Bible. So, um, and for, that's going to be for the RSV CE edition, and also for the um, NAB uh, uh, new NAB uh, Bible. And that's going to be through um, our Sunday Visitor as well. So that's coming out. But I basically wanted to sort sort of set the tone on the Bible. And I really haven't had a Bible orientation per se uh, in any of my other books. It's really been science, reason, and faith uh, for the establishment of God, you know, evidence for God, evidence for the soul, mm-hmm. evidence for Jesus. And I do give uh, summaries of all that evidence in this particular book, but I don't go into huge detail. What I do try to do is answer what I consider to be five of the big, huge problems that come up again and again uh, in um, in the what I would call teaching the Bible to young people or even to young middle-aged uh, people you, you get these questions like I mean this evolution stuff right now, Catholics can't believe in it oh yes Catholics can believe they can you know so I just began to say all right um, uh, we need to really do a, a sort of a uh, a, a cleanup issue on, on uh, you know, cleanup uh, session on about three or four major issues: evolution, of course, the Bible and science. The Catholic Church has just been at the forefront of all of these things. A- actually, has been at the forefront of science mm-hmm. uh, since its inception. So, um, you know, the, the, the idea that the Church could ever be anti-science is is uh, almost ludicrous. And then the third area that uh, I treat is the uh, uh, moral development. Just a lot of kids have trouble with, you know, well, wait a minute. It says here that Moses said, don't leave anything living or breathing in this country that you conquered. Kill them all. Kill the kids. Kill the cows. You know, um, what, what is that all about? That surely contradicts Jesus Christ's, te- uh, Christ's teaching. So uh, my objective in, in that is to talk about moral development uh, from the vantage point of Joseph Ratzinger's principles, um, you know, that uh, I, you know, go into in depth. And then I also uh, talk uh, quite a bit about this document from, um, you know, the Catholic Pontifical um, Biblical Commission, and, um, you know, where they talk about the three stages of moral development in the Old Testament, with Jesus coming, as it were, as the fourth and final stage um, of uh, moral uh, teaching in the Bible. So you, you have to sort of go through the Bible and recognize, well, that comes from the patriarchal stage, you know, oh, that comes from the mosaic stage. That comes from the later prophetic stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Jesus. And, and so, you know, if you can start recognizing this and recognizing that there is obviously moral development um, in the in the Bible, because God is 
continuously developing his, um, you know, the moral doctrine according to what people at those times can receive. And, uh, you know, based on the old adage, quid, quid, recipitor, right, whatever's received is received in the manner of the receiver, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say. So you can't give to a warrior patriarchal culture uh, the teaching of Jesus right up front, because, of course, it would just never be received, as Mm -hmm. St. Thomas would say. Uh, They just couldn't understand it. But you can do it gradually. So you can see, for example, with respect to vengeance. Well, in the patriarchal period, uh, God says, look, I'll avenge Cain seven times. Uh, You know, I'm putting a mark on his head, and anybody who violates Cain, they're going to get it, you know, bad. Or you see, you know, know, this uh, group of people, they they rape my uh, sister. Um, No problem. I'm going to wipe out that entire town. Uh, in vengeance, and you look at that and you go, well, how does that fit in with Jesus? Well, it, Jesus, of course, supersedes that, mm-hmm. you know, by quite a bit. But then Moses comes along, and Moses says, no, no, you can't have unlimited vengeance. That's that's not going to do. Um, instead, he says uh, it's going to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Parity vengeance, equal vengeance. That's it. No more. And that's a huge development. Uh, in, you know, moral thinking. Then with the later prophets, you begin to, you know, there's this idea that, well, uh, you know, on occasion, mercy can supplant vengeance. And then you get to Jesus, well, forgive them 70 times 7. Well, that's, you know, a prime number times 10 times a prime number, which is like an infinite number of times, right? Mm-hmm. So you, the, the idea is, you know, um, you, forgiveness is primary. Uh, the Good Samaritan's whole viewpoint, it, that that's primary, the idea that uh, mercy uh, supersedes the need for vengeance or, you know, the exacting of justice, um, you know, from uh, a person who's even offended you. <laughs> so you basically have this development. And I try to use that principle of Ratzinger's, you know, because, you know, people will come back and say, well, every, you know, um, statement in the Bible is inspired, you know, and so therefore every uh, statement in the Bible is inerrant. And Ratzinger has uh, this beautiful way of describing it, where he says, no, that's not exactly true. Every statement has inspiration and inerrancy in it. However, um, you know, the, the what he calls the interior part, right, um, of the message, what he calls the core of the message, that absolutely is inspired and inerrant, but that core message can be surrounded by what he calls the rind or the the skin, right, which is generally put into the words, um, you know, of a culture mm-hmm. at a particular time. Well, that's what I was just going to say. People tend to look at everything when they're reading scripture. They're thinking with the mind of, of in in the you know 21st century in 2024 and trying to figure it out through that lens when they're not looking at. What was going on yeah. in that time with the people? What did they believe? Where were they? What was happening in the world? Exactly. You have to do that. Exactly. And so, you know, Rottinger says, well, you know, those th- that, that way in which they communicated. So, for example, with Moses, you know, when he says kill everything that breathes, women, children, everything, well, you know, you look at that, and well, what's the real core message there? The core message is don't let the Israelite people be dissuaded um, you know, actively resist any other, um, you know, theological doctrine besides the one I was given on Mount Sinai, the covenant. What's the core of that? What's the rind that's, in, you know, wrapped, as it were, in the culture and the categories of, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, a thousand uh, years ago, um, you know, or um, even a little longer, uh, 1,200 years ago, uh, when Moses is operating? Well, what's the core there? The core is, well, the way to do this is to kill all the competition. Now, of course, Jesus uh, eventually um, will say, no, no. Uh, in fact, the later prophets say, no, you, you can't just kill everybody, innocent or guilty. And then Jesus would come along and say, no, the way to do this, the, the proper how of you know resisting competition is to create what, oh, well, what we're doing right now. We're trying to run, you know, a... a, a a, a talk show here on apologetics, mm-hmm. uh, trying to you know converse with people uh, rationally, trying to to show why, uh, in fact, you know the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of um, you know the Mosaic Covenant uh, has validity over against uh, the other 
uh, religions and outlooks of the time. So, you know, that, that idea, you know, of just the way to, to deal with the competition, um, that gets superseded, as, as Ratzinger said. And, and he says, yeah, the, you know, the, uh, uh, what he calls the rind, he calls it the external form of the expression. Um, and what he means by that is the external form of the expression of the core message. That can be changed, and that is not inerrant. And so it's that twofold distinction that, you know, liberates people. So you don't have to say, well, what the patriarchs are doing, that was inspired by God. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody thinks that. And, you know, the the reason there's difficulty um, in some Protestant churches, but not in Catholic, the Catholic Church, is because in Catholic Church, well, since 1941, uh, with the writing of Divino Afflante Spiritu by Pope Pius XII, uh, it was pretty clear um, that we believed in co-participative inspiration, whereas a lot of our Protestant brethren, good as they are in their biblical studies, they believe in the, much of it in the dictation theory of inspiration. The dictation theory basically says, well, God comes to the biblical author and says, okay, to the biblical author, here's the way it is, Take it down as I say it. So almost like God is whispering the text into the biblical author's ear, he's taking it down. The Catholic Church just never believed that, not not even since the time of Augustine, um, who criticizes it severely in his book on Genesis, right? He just says, this is nonsense, you know, God doesn't work this way. And so Pope Pius XII formalizes it in Divino Aplante Spiritu, and he says, look, when God comes... He comes to the biblical author and inspires the biblical author to give truths necessary for salvation, sacred truths that are necessary for salvation that will help the biblical author's audience to know, you know, how to distinguish Judaism and the covenant from these rival epics and, and myths that are floating around Israel all the time. So, for example, there's only one God. There are not many gods, uh, and so the biblical author has to get that message across. And then, of course, he, you know, there's a, the message is, you know, the things of nature around, you know, they're not divine. There's not a sea god and a mountain god. There's only one god, and everything else is the creation of that one god. Is that a sacred truth necessary for salvation? Absolutely necessary for salvation. And then, of course, you get to the third, um, you know, truth, which is human beings are not cannon fodder and playthings for the gods to move around on a chessboard. Instead, they're made in the very image and likeness of God, and God treats them lovingly and justly, and wants their good, is not in competition with them, is not annoyed with them, etc., etc. He loves them and intends to, um, you know, help them uh, in, in their path to salvation. And finally, of course, the whole idea that matter is evil, uh, which is, of course, around there in the arrival myths, mm-hmm. um, you know, God looks back on his creation every day um, of creation and says, and he saw that it was good. So these are the things that are really important. Uh, was the um, author trying to do science? No. Uh, and Pope Pius XII says, no, he's trying to give sacred truths necessary for salvation. You know, a physical, you know, a, a, what we call an accurate empirical mathematical description of the physical universe well, that's the job of science, but the job of the biblical author is to give these inspired truths necessary for salvation. Yeah, so but what's beautiful comes, about this, the way you've broken yeah. this up, is is in, in bite-sized pieces. For example, in chapter 1, where we're just mm-hmm. talking about how do we interpret the primeval narratives, of, and you're looking at Genesis mm-hmm. here, and then talking about in chapter 2, questions mm-hmm. concerned with evidence for God and the soul from contemporary science, medicine, and philosophy – what do scientists and physicians say about God and religion? So you're getting into some of these very basic questions, Father, right up front in the book, which I think is really, really important. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, the, you know modern-day kids, I think they really do want to believe uh, in inspiration in a Bible. And you have a lot of kids that will just unquestioningly take the Bible as it is and you know, be inspired by it. They're not going to be racked with doubts. But you're going to have the other 50% of the kids that are going to be racked with doubts. And they're going to say, gosh, you know, this doesn't say, what about the dinosaurs? I mean, I remember when I was in the fourth grade, you know, and 
looking at this, and I had wonderful catechism teachers and everything, and they were very nice. But, uh, you know, I kept saying, well, what about those dinosaurs? You know, didn't they live several hundred million years ago? How does this correspond? And, and of course, when I didn't get questions answered, you know, I was puzzled all the time. But mm-hmm. luckily, my mom was a daily communicant and had a lot of common sense and kept me going in the church. And I, I was just going, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's continue this conversation on the other side of the break. We're already through our first segment. That's what I mean. You need three, four, five, six, seven segments with this amazing Wonderful teacher and preacher and priest, Father Robert Spitzer. Magiscenter.com. Check out their great work, M-A-G-I-S-Center.com. And the book we're discussing this morning, one of his recent ones from OSV, Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible, Father Robert Spitzer. We'll be right back. Always informative, uplifting, and so encouraging because Father Robert Spitzer knows about the beauty and the power of God and that we don't have to worry about science, reason, and faith because they all work together, even when you look at the Bible extensively, as Father Spitzer is doing in the book we're discussing this morning, Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible. Okay, so let's go after that that question about dinosaurs because that does come up and sometimes people scratch their heads. What do we say about that as Catholics? Well, um, you know, again, this goes back to that wonderful encyclical of Pope Pius XII, the Dino Afonte Spiritu, in 1941. And, you know, what Pope Pius basically said was this, let science be science and let scripture be scripture. In other words, don't make science give us sacred truths necessary for salvation. And don't make scripture give us empirical, mathematical um, descriptions and explanations of the physical universe. So, uh, in other words, you know, let let each discipline do what it is meant to do. And if you do do that, if you keep the methodologies and the objectives separate, there is no contradiction. And people go, well, what about Galileo? And the reason I spend so much time on Galileo uh, in the book is because it gave us a second major principle that came from a guy named St. Robert Bellarmine. And, it, you know, my view, if Bellarmine had lived 10 years longer, 12 years longer, and, you know, had lived through the Galileo um, controversy, it would have never happened. I mean, he, he could have, you know, he's a cardinal, um, he, he was a Jesuit, uh, but uh, they elevated him to the status of cardinal. But, you know, he had a principle that could have saved the whole thing. He basically said, if you have an established scientific fact, you know, you can't have an, an interpretation of Scripture that contradicts something which is demonstrated, um, you know, to the satisfaction of, of the majority of scientists. You, you, you'd have to get a, a description that fits, an interpretation of the Scripture passage that fits in with it. Well, there's two passages um, in Genesis that could look like, you know, maybe uh, it could fit either geocentrism or heliocentrism. The interpretation could have gone either way. <coughs> but... Um, um, at the time, we didn't have stellar parallax, right? So we, we couldn't, you know, tell which one was true. So mm-hmm. Bellarmine told his friend Foscarini, who was right in the middle of the controversy, he says, look, if you can give me a demonstrated, uh, you know, um, scientific test that I can see, other scientists can see and verify for ourselves that mathematically the, the Earth has to be rotating around the sun uh, rather than... Um, um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know the, the the Earth and the center and the Sun going around the Earth. If you can demonstrate that to me with uh, you know some form of mathematical and scientific instrumentation, I will say that you have to choose a scripture passage, a scripture interpretation that's consistent with that, as Saint Augustine, you know, instructed us way back in the uh, uh, fourth and fifth century. So that's the way we have to do it. However. In the, in the absence of such a demonstration, the church is free to say whatever she wishes, and so um, and uh, uh, that was the fact. And now, of course, uh, Galileo was, you know went out without any scientific evidence at all, and sort of you know did the heliocentrism, but he claimed it as fact, and that put the pope under a lot of pressure. But if Bellarmine had been around, uh, he would have definitely understood. Uh, you know, that um, the facts were not in yet, 
and um, he would have you know said to Galileo, "Don't publish this." But the fact was that Galileo did, and because Galileo did publish it, you know we know what happened. Now um, the Church should not have said, probably as Pope John Paul II admitted, that geocentrism was therefore right. We should have just left it at we don't know. Um, the Church is free to say what she wants. Um, Galileo's, Galileo's free to say what he wants about heliocentrism because we don't have a, a proof that that's wrong or right either. Just let it lie until we can get stellar parallax to verify it. Well, unfortunately, it took another 200 years um, before Bessel actually showed with the proper good telescopes that, yep, uh, no question about it, uh, heliocentrism was the fact. But um, so basically, I think Bellarmine's principle is a huge and important principle. But um, that's one of the few times ever that the Catholic Church came into conflict, um, you know, with a scientist. And the reason didn't have to do with scientific fact. The Church wasn't against heliocentrism. What the Pope wanted was Galileo not to publish the fact of heliocentrism until... Um, it could be validated by stellar parallax, and that he could not do. So um, that's what caused the blow-up. But in any case, the long and the short of it is right now, you know, um, the Church has given us this good principle. You know, you shouldn't have an interpretation of Scripture that uh, contradicts a demonstrated scientific fact. And we have lived with that, you know, since, wow, um, probably... Uh, almost as long as, you know, Bellarmine, you know, probably close to 400 years, you know, we've been uh, living with that principle. I mean, it certainly has dominated contemporary scriptural exegesis. So what do you say about evolution? Well, the same thing that uh, St. John Paul II said about uh, evolution, uh, essentially, that um, that evolution is a very well-validated um, theory, uh, it's not an established fact, but it is a well-validated theory. It's more than a hypothesis, uh, said St. John Paul. And he says, in light of that fact, you know, Catholics can believe uh, in evolution, even the evolution of the brain, even the uh, an evolution of our brain from earlier hominids. There's no problem with um, that. But every Catholic must believe that they have a transphysical soul, which... Um, will survive bodily death. Um, and that unique soul is given to each human being at their conception. Well, I don't think we should have any problem validating that today. I mean, if you look at the studies of near-death experiences, terminal lucidity, intelligence in hydrocephalic patients, I mean, it is so clear that there has to be some other nexus of consciousness besides a physical brain. Because if the physical brain is dead, in other words, there's no electrical activity uh, in that physical brain, you know, fixed and dilated pupils, uh, no gag reflex, uh, flat EEG, no electrical activity whatsoever going in the cerebral and frontal cortices, well, wait a minute here. Uh, That person should not be able to think with their brain. No electricity, no thinking through the physical brain. Yet this person is going outside the hospital walls, and even if he's blind, he can give us an exact description of what is going on outside the hospital walls and uh, go on and on and on. I mean, this little Bradley Burroughs, 16 years old, blind from birth, um, he just goes right outside the hospital walls and uh, he's right up at the roof looking out over the you know, the horizon there. He sees the, these train tracks in the snow that are grooving the snow. So I've never seen snow before in my life. It's very beautiful. Now I know what a white looks like. Now I know... You know, with these grooves uh, in, in the snow, I knew they had, you know, so parallel. I knew they had to be train tracks or tram tracks or something. And then he says, you know, I knew that there was a grove of trees, uh, you know, out in the distance there. And I, 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 you know, thought, wow, this is, I know what green looks like and blue looks like. So, of course, he's, as he's describing this, he says, you know, and then a tram passed by. Father, hold uh, on. We have to take another break, unfortunately, because it's a fascinating story. And we'll be right back. More with Father Spitzer. I can't believe wrapping up already this powerful discussion on his book, Science, Reason, and Faith. We'll review some of the other chapters in the areas he's covering, which is really, really important, especially in this age when there's so many people trying to separate science, reason, and faith. We'll be right back.
Okay, I say this every time Father is on, Father Robert Spitzer, but the hour flies by, which is why I wanted to do the vast majority of this program today on January 31st, a feast of St. John Bosco, Don Bosco from Torino, to give him a full hour, practically. We just did that short intro at the top of the hour, and here we are, one more segment, about 15 minutes left. The book that we're discussing with our very own Father Robert Spitzer from Father Spitzer's Universe with Doug Keck, of course, seen every week and more than once, by the way, for the Showtimes, EWTN.com, on Father Spitzer's Universe, Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible. Okay, Father, I want to give you a chance to wrap up that fascinating story about that young man who had that out-of-body experience. Right. So, And this is, by the way, typical of hundreds of blind people, 81% of whom who are blind from birth actually see and accurately report what's going around them. Eighty-one percent, um, when they have never seen a thing in their lives previously, have absolutely no visual imaging within their physical brains. I mean, how do you hallucinate that if you've been blind all your life? Anyway, so Bradley Burroughs comes outside the hospital, and he's describing the scene. <clears throat> and then he says, hey, I see a tra- uh, train tram uh, uh, passing by, <clears throat> and on the back of it is a big, huge sign with an arrow pointing to the right. And sure enough, that tra- tram just proceeds up the tracks and goes, you know, uh, turning right into the grove of trees ahead. Now, um, all I can say is tra- trams and trains have schedules, like to-the-second schedules. And, of course, so do medical uh, personnel in the operating room. So at the very moment, we can coordinate after the fact, the very moment that uh, Bradley had his heart attack, he would left his body, etc. And the very moment that tram came by, coordinate perfectly. Wow! So of course, this a tram with a sign and had a big arrow pointing to the right did pass Bradley by and went into a grove of trees to the right in the distance. So you look at that and you go, how can we have hundreds of such cases? How can 81% of blind people see for the first time when they don't even have a visual image in their physical brains? I mean, how is this possible? Well, there must be some other nexus, a point um, at which you know consciousness, self-consciousness, memory, vision, hearing, movement proceeds. And by the way, you know, these people have kind of what they call a soul body or a spirit body. Um, they, call, they call it that because, of course, this spirit body or soul body can go through walls and can, you know, defy gravity and physical processes and laws. So the main thing, though, that to remember is we've got hundreds of these validated cases, not just of sighted people, but blind people from birth. No, it's, it's fascinating. I know you've addressed this in other books as well. We're talking with Father yeah. Robert Spitzer. Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible. By the way, I did want to mention that the show airing today, January 31st, Father Spitzer's Universe, at 2 and then again at 10 p.m., 2 p.m. and 10 p.m., they've been doing a series, Doug and Father, on the spiritual effects of pornography. So we have part three, which will be on at 2 and then repeated again at 10 o'clock. So super important series, and you can check it out, of course, Father Spitzer's Universe on EWTN.com. So let's talk about some of the other issues. We mentioned it before uh, the break and actually going into the very beginning of the interview, some of the challenges that young people have. Uh, You mentioned evolution. You mentioned some of the people in the Old Testament, some of the scenes that are described in the Old Testament that don't match up, you know, many people say with what Jesus was all about. But then there's so many other issues as well. What is it? about this disconnect where people, just as the, the, the title of your book says, Science, Reason, and Faith, don't want to connect the three or refuse to. A part of it, I'm sure, is, okay, if I do submit that there is somebody in charge of all of this, then I have to answer to someone other than myself, so that whole self-autonomy. Yeah. But what else do you think it is? Has it been a conditioning, Father, that's gone on where they can't connect the dots or won't? Well, I think several things have happened. First of all, starting in their 8th and ninth grade, a lot of kids get this, um, well, propaganda campaign, really, um, th- that uh, is materialistic at its root, uh, essentially saying, you're just atoms and molecules, that's all you are, and by the way, you don't have any uh, kind of a, a soul or any kind of transphysical apparatus, uh, you're just a, a simple body, um, you know, and when you die, the, the, the atoms and molecules go into something else, and that's the end of you. Well, now, of course, we can see pretty clearly that um, uh, it's just uh, the opposite. 
um, with these near-death experiences, things of that nature. Uh, you know, when you see a person who 96, 97% of their brain is completely destroyed by hydrocephalic fluid, right? I mean, basically, uh, by spinal fluid that's gone into the cranial cavity. I mean, they have almost no brain left, and they're doing mathematics at a genius level IQ. I mean, this came out in the Lorber and Lewin studies. You look at that and you go, well, you know, the name of their article is, is your physical brain really necessary? Well, the point is, okay, there's this other soul-like uh, brain. Mm-hmm. Now, if you put it all into that context, uh, then, you know, it looks like the materialism, the physicalist view that they might have gotten in 8th and ninth grade is completely false. But we have to get the word out there that there's genuine medical and scientific studies that are so well-founded that last year, 2022, or actually it's two years ago now, right. um, 2022, the New York Academy of Sciences actually came out and said, yeah, there's a credible possibility um, that your um, uh, consciousness is going to survive your bodily death. Um, that's that's a real radical statement. Yeah. I mean, Ten years ago, they never had the New York Academy of Sciences making these statements. But the studies are overwhelming. So we need to get the word out, but that's the first reason. I think materialism is out there in the high schools. People are totally unaware of what's going on in these mind studies, brain studies, uh, in the various uh, near-death uh, medical studies, et cetera. The second thing that's, um, that uh, went on is, you know, because um, there was what I would call maybe a little fundamentalism going on out there, uh, not so much among Catholics, but uh, definitely among other Christians, a lot of scientists began to think, you know, wow, these people really believe in the six-day, uh, you know, creation scenario. They actually think, you know, that with a young Earth, you know, six thousand-year-old universe, etc. Uh, I mean, this is so, you know, palpably ignorant that I guess Christians must, as a whole, be really ignorant. And then they go and they give this propaganda to the kids, mm-hmm. right, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, and by the time they're in college, they're fully propagandized. Right, so they 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 basically believe this uh, uh, this myth, um, you know that um, uh, you know uh, all Christians are basically young Earth creationists, and you know again since the time of Saint Augustine, uh, you know that we have not been that at all, and you know it's it's a bad rap for Catholics who you know in, in 1941 we have a formal declaration from Pope Pius the Twelfth. Uh, allowing for the possibility of evolution, and certainly, who was the guy who, who actually founded, discovered the Big Bang theory to begin with? A Roman Catholic priest, mm-hmm. Father Georges Lemaitre, and he even admitted that by his calculations, the universe had to be 18 billion years old. Hardly a young Earth creationist, but he was a priest, a Catholic priest with two PhDs, uh, one of them from MIT, a colleague of Einstein's. This guy was no dummy, but of course he was bringing together faith and science in the most magnificent way, and we're getting a bad rap, but kids believe it. They really believe they have to believe in a, you know, a, a six-day creation and a, you know, five, six thousand year old universe, etc. If they're going to be Christians, so they go, well, uh, either I stay a Christian and I can't be a scientist, or I become a scientist and I got to reject Christianity. Mm-hmm. Horrible dichotomy, totally false dichotomy. But at least today, kids are starting to get over it a little bit, but we're still losing 50% of our kids for one reason only. They don't see any evidence for God from science. But you can imagine what they think about the Bible. You know, they go, well, this is the source of all the problems, and they don't know about co-participative inspiration. They don't know what Pope Pius XII said. They don't know what um, Cardinal Ratzinger said. Uh, well, the, uh, now, you know, of course, uh, Pope Benedict uh, said they don't know what St. John Paul II uh, said about evolution. They don't know what, what um, uh, St. Robert Bellarmine said about science and, and, and uh, scripture. They don't know anything, you know, and, and, and we've got to teach them, and that's why I wrote this book, because, I mean, if there's any teachers listening in this audience, I'm begging you, just to get this book as a source book for yourself, teachers. Maybe you can't have your students read it. It's on a little higher level. But if the teachers would read it and just, you know, uh, bring, uh, you know, the information uh, to the kids, that would be great. Uh, now, that was also, my next question. Uh, for whom uh, For whom did you write it? You know, who do you see in the audience for the book, Father? 
Well, first and foremost, boy, priests, teachers, seminarians, catechists, anybody who's teaching anybody in the Catholic Church who wants, uh, you know, the next generation of kids to read the Bible, because it is, after all, our font and, and source of, of, of revelation and inspiration. I mean, we've got to, uh, anybody who's t- doing that teaching should be reading it. I put together, um, uh, you know, two, uh, you know, a little um, book with Sof- uh, a high school course and a middle school course, uh, with Sophia Institute for Teachers, and if I might shamelessly say, uh, sure. if you want to just go um, to to that website, um, Sophia Institute for Teachers, and just look for that Catholic Faith and Science book. It's that's meant as a senior elective course um, for um, you know uh, uh, Catholic uh, high schools, and then Speak the Faith. Um, is the um, middle school course uh, for the middle school kids. But What's so frustrating to me is when, when I came back to the church many moons ago, probably, mm-hmm. well, gosh, it was in the ni- early 90s, and my husband and I both came back. He came back first, oh, I came wow. back about a year later, and I started oh. to finally read what a concept, read, <laughs> read the teachings, yeah. read the encyclicals, you know, I started to take scripture study and whatnot. I was so angry. I was, I was half thrilled and half, you know, excited because it was like everything was just, just exploding for you in terms of the depth and the beauty, whether it was on communications, whether it was on uh-huh. science, whether it was on art, but everything, the saints. And, and I was like, you know, hitting myself in the head, where have I been all these years? I could have had a V8. We just yeah. don't, all of us, Father, I don't think Catholics, yeah. cradle Catholics, and I'm speaking for myself and my circle of family and friends, we do not tap in. I mean, we could never tap into it for our entire lives because you could spend 25 lives and still... Oh, not yeah. have gone through everything the church gives us, but there's so much. The church is a place that helps you connect the dots with everything. Yes, it is, and we have been the faith and reason experts yes. since day one. We've never been outside the wrong. I mean, when philosophy was the method, we were in it. When science, physics, like the physics, uh, physical sciences start, we were in it. When the biological sciences started, we were in it. When anthropology uh, was going, we were in it. We've never been out of it. I mean, uh, the whole point is, is for us to be, you know, get the albatross hung around our neck, you know, or even the accusation. You know, we have a pontifical academy of science. Right. My gosh, we run a hundred thousand primary schools that teach science. We run fifty thousand secondary schools which teach a lot of modern science and a thousand seven hundred universities. What are we talking about here? I mean, the, the accusation is so patently false. Yet people, I mean, I'm not kidding you. Scientists really do believe. Oh, those Catholics, you know, they. They're, they're just a lot of fundamentalists out there, and they, uh, you know, they really believe in uh, geocentrism and a uh, uh, 6,000-year-old young Earth uh, creation, and nothing could be further from the truth. And the well, this is why this book is so helpful, because we have to know the truth, because the truth will set us free, and if we are if teachers, I think not just for teachers who are literally teachers, whether they're catechists or whether they're actually educators in, in any sort of a school, high school, grade school, college, but all of us have to learn our faith. We're all called to evangelize, and we all have to be able to, especially in this day day and age, with the depression is skyrocketing, people are miserable. Help them connect the dots, and this book does it. Science, Reason, and Faith, Discovering the Bible with our friend, Father Robert Spitzer. We'll be right back on a Wednesday. Stay tuned. If you only see the difficulty in parenting, you will never see the treasure. Catholic Charities of Southeast Michigan are devoted to helping moms see the treasure at every stage of life. Project Hope provides material assistance and guidance. Adoption, foster care, and counseling services are also joyfully offered. Our Walking with Moms in Need initiative provides help and hope at every turn. To get involved or make a financial contribution, visit ccscm.org slash mom. That's ccscm.org slash mom. The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. St. John the Apostle records the John chapter 6 Bread of Life discourse in which Jesus states that his flesh is true food and his blood true drink. Who better to understand John's writings and subsequent teachings than a disciple and student of John, St. Ignatius of Antioch? In his letter to the Smyrnians in 110 A.D., Ignatius writes, 
I have no taste for corruptible food, nor for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And for drink, I desire His blood, which is love incorruptible. The Catholic Church absolutely follows St. John and St. Ignatius in taking Jesus at His word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN and the Ave Maria Radio Networks. Find us both online, EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. In addition to the archives, you'll find daily at the archives section of AveMariaRadio.net. I always want to encourage you for news and views from a truly Catholic perspective, please visit our news sources. It's so important to make sure that you are seeing things through the lens, as Al Cresta always says, of Scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church. So how do you do that? Well, my faves, Catholic News Agency, I use them every day, catholicnewsagency.com, the National Catholic Register, ncregister.com, and then, of course, there are great programs here on the EWTN network that help you take a look at the news, again, through a Catholic perspective. You have The World Over with News Director Raymond Arroyo. You have EWTN News Nightly every single night covering all the stories. In the U.S. and around the world, you have In-Depth. It's a relatively new program looking at issues in-depth from the news perspective. So just to keep that in mind, when you see something out there in the news or in the world and you're troubled by it, come to us. We've got the resources. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.